You are listening to a Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship audio presentation. We'll look at a number of different scriptures today, and most of them we will have on the screen for you, and I would encourage you to mark some of these in your Bible. I want us to pray again as we begin, shall we pray? Father, I want to pray that you'd be with Austin and Lee and other emergency responders uh, this morning. Uh, We would pray that you would guide them, give them safety, and we pray for whatever the emergency is to which they are called, that you would superintend the events that take place there and save life if there need to be or save property. Uh, Guide us now as we look at your word and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you thought that the Christian life was going to be easy? It didn't take you long to find out if you were living the real thing. Well, this morning, we understand that it is not easy to walk with Christ, and as the Bible says, walk as Jesus did. Now, we do see that whoever practices sin does not belong to him, and that's a very difficult verse. Practice as I would practice the piano, practice sports, but my natural inclinations tend to run a certain direction, and when I have to go against my natural inclinations, it's not easy. Can I get any help on that? And the answer is, certainly I can. How do we receive the power and motivation to do God's will, to serve Him and to honor Him? It comes through grace. That's what grace is. It gives us the strength. It gives us the desire in our hearts to do what is right, to speak what is right, to have right thoughts in our hearts. And as we do the right thing, coming out of a pure heart, then he gives us more grace. It's a pretty good deal. Now this morning, we want to think about what we get, what we receive from that grace that comes from Calvary when Christ died on the cross. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free from spending eternity in hell as we have committed our lives to Him and He has come in, taken control of our lives, taken control, and we purpose to live for Him. There are many great benefits which would overshadow anything that is going on in our lives today as we think of it. Now, we don't want to minimize difficult times that we face here on this earth. But when I think about it in the contrast of heaven and eternity and being saved not only from hell, but being saved from sin, oh, what a blessed thought that is. Now, back in November, we looked at some uh, principles from Scripture in connection with what Christ has redeemed us from when He died on the cross, the effects of sin. So some of our lesson this morning will be a review so we can kind of hold the package together. November was a long time ago, and we'll review those first two lessons that we looked at and then move into lesson three that we have today. Now, we are created in God's image. What would be the highest correlation that we know of being created in His image? Certainly, it would be a spirit. A spirit that can respond to God's spirit. 
And then we have a soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And some people would say, well, there's really two different things, but maybe they're two sides of the same coin. And sometimes the Scripture uses them interchangeably. And then we have a body that God has given us. But the body is kind of on the lower end of the totem pole there, so to speak. Not that the body is inherently bad. The body was good as God created it. But now there's something that dwells in the body that gives us trouble in trying to live the life that God has called us to live. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, something came to dwell in the body that was unnatural. The Scripture calls it epithumia, lust, a strong desire growing out of the diseased condition of the soul. Now, there's nothing wrong with strong desire. I'm sure Adam had a good appetite in the Garden of Eden there when he was out gathering some fruit. But now, that desire has become somewhat twisted by this epithumia. And that condition can be overcome to the extent that I'm willing to let Christ be in control of my life and apply the grace that He has given. Now, when that sin came in, man's world turned upside down in a sense. And the first noted effect, there may be many effects, but we were looking at some particular ones. Here it is, lust or strong desire, epithumia, out of the contaminated condition of the soul, began to drive the body. Be sure you hear me saying there's nothing wrong with desire as long as it is channeled in the direction that God would have it to go. That's where the problem comes in. Now, if it gets out of hand, here's what happens. Romans 1.21 For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, you notice in this verse that the heart and the mind are the same essentially. The thoughts of the mind became futile and the heart was darkened. It's talking about the mind, really, what they are thinking. What were Adam and Eve thinking? They were thinking, hey, we won't die if we eat this fruit. We will become like gods and we'll be able to make our own decisions and not having any supreme authority telling us what to do. Well, the mind was a little bit darkened at that point, and their thinking became futile. Sometimes in the Scripture, those two words are used synonymously, heart and mind, and sometimes they're used antithetically, and we'll take a look at that in just a moment. Now, what happens if that tendency goes unchecked? Go on down to verse 24 in Romans chapter 1. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. And here we have the use of the heart in such a way that it draws the body away toward sin. Today, we want to talk about this term heart in terms of man's desire, his emotions, his passions, 
Sometimes the Bible calls it his lust. If your emotions are in the driver's seat, watch out. They will take you somewhere you may not want to go. It's very important for young people to learn that principle. The Scripture says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Well, he's talking about the passions and desires. I've got to learn the fruit of the Spirit of self-control. And see, that's a very difficult thing, and that's the reason some people would say, well, the, the Christian life is, is too difficult. That's not really what God meant when He said that. Now, in the wonder of what God created, what do you think was the greatest faculty with which man is gifted? What about the mind? The mind that enables us to think. The mind that enables us to understand God from the Scripture and understand His way of life for us. Uh, what about the mind by which Handel can create his Messiah? Or Rembrandt can paint his painting of Christ healing the sick? Or a doctor can discover a cure for cancer? We're working on that. All of those things require the mind. And it is with the mind that we understand what God tells us and we seek to put it into practice. But when sin came in, here's what happened. Feelings begin to rule over thinking. Have you ever seen that happen in your life? It'd be interesting to get some testimony on that, wouldn't it? Because I'm sure we could all give some. When feelings rule over thinking. I know several embarrassing stories I can tell about myself, but I'll spare you at this time. Man's heart became the boss over his mind. His heart, the passions, the emotions, the desires, those kinds of things. Now, let's look from the Scripture and see if we can illustrate this. The heart, synonymous with the mind. And here are three different translations. Daniel purposed in his heart, but in the New American Standard, Daniel made up his mind. In the ESV, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. It's talking about a mental decision that he made. Now, understand the Spirit has to do with this, but he's thinking, no, this food is on the forbidden list and we're not going to eat it. In Psalms, though, we see the heart synonymous with passions and desires. The Israelites are in the desert. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Or they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved or the New American Standard, and in their heart they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Now you see, in this instance, the desire is the seat, not of the thinking, but of the, de the heart is the deceit of desires. So they really wanted some meat to eat, and God gave it to them and sent leanness to their soul, the Scripture says. Here is another verse that we looked at where desires and passions are synonymous with the heart. Proverbs 6.25, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. The strange woman we're talking about here. In the English Standard Version, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. The use of the word heart would relate in these last two passages 
to the emotions, to the desires, however strong they might be. Now, even a non-Christian might be able to control his emotions through sheer willpower, but it's easy for them to get out of hand and begin driving the vehicle down the road. And that's the reason we have to be careful. That's the reason we need some help with this business of the heart. That was the first consequence of sin. As a result, man's mind was no longer governed by his understanding, by his reasonable thought process, the sound mind that God has given us. But now the feelings have come in, and they make us do things that would be contrary to the will of God and things that we would regret later on. Here is the second thing we noted. The mind became blind. We see this in Ephesians 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now the very next, next verse explains what happens when the mind is blind. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now this sounds like some kind of sinful maniac It's going to run out the door and uh, do all kinds of terrible things. It doesn't happen that way normally. It can't happen that way. But usually it starts as a young person and there are some thoughts in my heart or some seeds of thoughts. And as I grow older, those things begin to sprout and grow. And unless I come in there and cut the grass and trim things down and cut off those branches there, allow Christ to prune my heart, then it goes a little bit further and a little bit further, and all of a sudden it breaks out in losing all sensitivity and giving myself over to sensuality. Paul describes this blindness in Second Corinthians. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, he's already got the unbelievers blinded. Who do you think he would be working on? He likes to blind us. Oh, we're not blind completely to the gospel, but we become blinded to temptations sometimes. And sometimes we fall into things that if we'd really been thinking about it, if we really had our eyes wide open, we wouldn't have done that. If we could have only gone down the road for two weeks, two months, two days, two years, and seen what the effect of that sin would be. But now we have a tendency to be blinded if we're not right on track with the Lord. Now, there are three effects that come to this blindness of the mind. First, the, blind, the mind is blinded to things that are obvious. We live in a cause and effect world. Nobody suspects that this building just suddenly appeared on this property out of natural processes somehow. From the impersonal plus time, billions of years plus chance, this building just appeared. Nobody thinks that today. And yet we have people who are blinded who would say, that's the way the world got here. The whole thing just suddenly appeared out of nowhere, 
by chance with a few explanations here and there. But essentially, that's what it would have to be. Where did it come from? Well, we don't really know that, but whatever it is, it got here by chance. That is a blind mind. I'll tell you another area where people are blinded. Every person that ever lived in this world is either already dead or they are going to die. They'll either die of natural causes, be killed in an accident, uh, maybe there's some other means of death, but everyone is going to die, but no one thinks about that. What will happen the moment you step off this planet? Well, if you have eyes to see, you can consider those kinds of things. And we want to help others to understand what that means through the gospel. The second thing, the mind is blinded to its own distortion of values. What is material wealth compared with the wealth of relationships? And yet sometimes we sacrifice relationships to get more material wealth. What is time compared to eternity? What is hell compared to heaven? What is darkness compared to light? Why do men choose darkness over light? Because their deeds are evil, the Scripture says. But that evil resonates with something in their heart, the epithumia, that's there, that came through Adam's sin. We're born with that sin nature. And evil resonates with that. It doesn't have to be some gross evil. It can be something that's just leading us down a path. What's a biblical example of this distortion of values? How about Judas? He betrayed his friend after everything he had seen for these better part of three years. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. We don't know all the reasons why he did that, but we do know when he realized the light came on, he realized what he had done, he was very regretful for what he had done. And he went out and hanged himself, blind to his own distortion of values, until too late. Then the third thing, a man is blinded, the mind is blinded due to its own inclination to compromise. We tend to want to blend everything together and call it good and even call it holiness. But be careful with what the Scripture says. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? I want to focus on that last phrase. I doubt if anyone here is going to run out and marry some pagan. But what about this fellowship with darkness? Light with darkness. Well, we see in the Scripture there's some things that you can't mix. You can't mix God and mammon. The rich young ruler tried to hold it together, but he couldn't. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Then you can't mix allegiance. He that is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And you certainly can't mix allegiance to Christ and the world at the same time. But God forbid, says Paul, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world has been crucified, that is, in my heart. So there are three consequences to the blindness of the mind. 
blindness to the obvious, obvious, blindness to a distortion of values, and blindness where I may tend to compromise. Can a Christian be affected by these kinds of blindness? Oh, yes. We see that in the Scripture from King David and others. And that's the reason we need the body of Christ, and we need wise counsel, and we need to be holding one another accountable because we are susceptible to these things. Now we come to the third effect of sin in the life of man for today. The third noted effect, sin makes man a slave of things that were meant to serve him. Dozens of times in Scripture we are told that God is good. And we're told that He is the giver of every good gift. James 1.17 That would include every spiritual blessing in Christ and gifts like mercy and grace and love and an abundant life and forgiveness. But it would also include material things, I believe, like houses, land, and education, an automobile, food to eat, clothing to wear. We're told in 1 Timothy 6.17 that God has given us richly all these things to enjoy. But here's the problem. Because of sin, we have a tendency to begin to worship the gifts instead of the giver. Now, I'm not bowing down to my new car, if I had one, but I tend to let things take the place in my mind that only God should have and in my heart. And I tend to look to them for satisfaction instead of really applying the means of grace so that I can be satisfied with what God has given us in Christ. It all depends on the direction that I'm going here. Do you have a lot of money? Or does a lot of money have you? Or do you have a lot of anxiety because you only have a little bit of money? Uh, what's in our hearts? What is the thing that we focus on and that we think about most of the time? Sin turns that satisfaction that God intended upside down. And now I'm mastered by my appetite instead of doing what I ought to do, instead of the self-control to overcome that epithumia and stay the course and resist the temptation. This tendency in man tends to show up in the worst form of idolatry. What would that be? I think it would be when we worship ourselves. And in the New Testament it says, and greed, which is idolatry. So I have to be careful. I have to be called to account. I have to stay in the Word. It has to saturate my heart. But there is help for that. The power of sin was broken at the cross. I no longer have to be ruled by my emotions. I no longer have to be blind. Blind to things that are obvious. Blind to my own distortion of values. And blind to my tendency to compromise. Here's the Scripture. Oh, the third thing we mentioned today, I no longer have to be a slave to things that were meant to serve me for my enjoyment. It may be a little electronic device of some sort, but it's supposed to be my servant. I don't want to become its servant and a slave to anything 
other than to Christ. Here's the verse that we read earlier. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And then in Romans 6.18, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And then in Romans 6, 21, 22, and 23. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But someone may say, yeah, but it's hard to be holy. In fact, it's too hard. And it's just like putting everyone on a roller coaster of a guilt trip where we're trying harder and then we fail and then we're challenged to go back and try harder again. Is there any way to get off the roller coaster? Well, there are some possibilities we could find an easier way than holiness. There is no easier way. The Christian life is one of servitude, sacrifice, and suffering. Whoa! That's the Christian life? I'm not sure I want anything like that. Servitude, sacrifice, and suffering. Do you know that the number one Kentucky Wildcats basketball team do the same thing every day? Their life is not their own. Their coach tells them when to get up and when to go to bed and what to eat and when to come to practice and that you better study. And they are practically in servitude, but they love it. They're the number one team in the nation. And we applaud them. Well, we have something that is much more eternal than basketball. So it's not going to be easy. But are we going to win the championship? Oh, yes. Well, if there's no easier way, we could redefine holiness. How about this? Love is, holiness is love. Holiness is joy. Holiness is enthusiasm. Or holiness is repentance. Now, all of those are excellent qualities, but they are not holiness. Holiness is purity. And that includes moral excellence, conformity to the image of Christ, and separation from sin, according to the Scripture. Or maybe we could just say you don't have to be holy. That's not what God meant. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He didn't mean that. He just meant all you have to do is believe in Christ, just believe that it's real, and that's all you would have to do. Well, if you take the entire Scripture, there seems to be a lot more. Uh, walking in the way the Bible talks about. But is there help? Yes, there is help. And I believe that one reason we struggle so much is that we don't consistently apply the means of grace. The power and motivation to do His will doesn't just come to us out of the blue. It comes to us, it comes to us through the apostles' teaching and fellowship, we might say. That would be the Word of God. It comes to us through the Lord's Supper. We're about to receive some grace right now if our heart attitude is right. It comes to us through baptism. And it comes to us through prayer. 
And there can be many things that would be connected there, interconnected, we would say, but that's how we receive the grace to do God's will. So as we come to this time this morning, the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage everyone as the elements are being passed out, I want to ask you to be thinking about your attitude toward the Lord's Supper. Are you really joyful to have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper to receive more grace from God because you've been applying the grace that He has already given? That's the heart attitude that Christ is looking for. And if I don't have that heart attitude, I can confess that and I can turn from that. And He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would encourage you to do a heart inventory and ask yourself the questions about these things that we've looked at. Would they be present in my life? And if they are, Lord, I need a load of grace to erase those things and walk in newness of life that you have called me to. You have been listening to a Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship audio presentation.